0: This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn.
1: And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDBS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Eric Shaw Quinn, do you know what we're doing today on the show? (laughs) Apparently not. I like the way you (laughs) asked me like that. (laughs) It's Tuesday. Do you know who the president is? (laughs) It's 10 o'clock. Do you know what time it is? Um, No. I like to keep you on your toes, Eric Shaw Quinn. Well, you know, I um, like to see you try. (laughs) I got strong toes uh, over here. I'm not all that uh, toesable. I'm a pretty... <laughs> I don't <laughs> use my toes for much anymore. It's tough to get me up there, but, uh, you know, you can, it could can happen. <laughs> did you ever go to ballet school?
0: I did. I did, too. I went but, to ballet class. Miss Anne used to teach me ballet. I loved going to her classes. She would... I think, always think of her. She would come over and shape my hand. She would take my hand and so that my... Because it was all about the line, she wanted the line to be just so, and I always remember her shaping my
1: hands, pretty hands. She would say, "Pretty hands." Pretty hands. I went to ballet class as a young boy, and I was when I started. I was in a class with all girls. I was the one boy, and we would have parents' day where the parents would come in, and we would just do basic ballet bullshit that like nine-year-olds could easily uh. do. Uh, none of us were going to be dancing with Barishnikov, but there was a point where we were supposed to fly like pretty birds. You know, fly like pretty birds with fluttering hands? I wouldn't fucking do it. I did straight-arm pterodactyl wings. And my father said, I'm not paying money for you to be a pterodactyl. Fly like a pretty bird like the rest of them (laughs) girls.
0: (laughs) But the joy of being the only boy in dance class was that you didn't have to match everybody else. Mm, mm -hmm. Like, in tap dance class, it would be me and 400 girls. And so then... I would get to stand down in front of all of them while they were like my backup dancers. And then I could do pretty much whatever I wanted to (laughs) because I didn't have to match them. (laughs) So it saved a lot of time on like learning the dance and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Because you could just, you know, as long as you kept tapping and keeping rhythm, which any you know yeah I'm, right basically sentient being could do I think you yeah. could tap shoes on a dog and probably they could keep rhythm at uh, least
1: I, w- I was a spectacular failure at tap dancing oh, yeah? I was I don't know if I was too light in my loafers or what but I just couldn't it was about connecting with the floor in a certain way and I couldn't get that strength going in my you ankles I think
0: that it would be a balance thing for you You're, you have height you have fear of height I'm issues. very
1: tall I'm very tall but
0: but your reaction to being high, the the, the prospect of
1: falling. Do <laughs> You want to clarify which type of high you, know, you like mean? There, fear of heights. Yeah, yeah I would right. think
0: that it would it would impact your any of your dancing thing, but particularly ballet and
1: and well, um, I, it took me a long dancing. a long time to come into my body. Like I was really awkward and uncomfortable in my skin. I, I'm still pretty uncomfortable in my skin. My face has been itching for four years. I don't know why. Oh you know, but it's but, like But we certainly have been we, kept surprised it in every phase. I'm 70. gonna review every household product I came into contact with just to be sure that's okay. not the one. But no, I, I really the coordination thing, I was a gangly kid, you know, and I think tap is you need to be a little bit more centered in your body overall than I was, which is as you're saying, it was a balance issue yeah. overall. Anyway, uh, how did we get off on dancing? Why are we talking about dancing? I for some reason, you brought up ballet class. Okay, I brought right up it right was oh, about being up on your toes, keeping you on your toes. Yeah, well, I what we, we are point, but what we are doing this week is we are introducing a new segment. <clears throat> And we have recruited our wonderful party people by way of our Facebook page, the Dinner Party Show's Facebook tricked page. we them into being part of a scheme. They are part of it. <laughs> and um, we're just going to let Eric sort of cough up a little Sorry bit about of that. Um, flu virus here whatever this is about. That um, was a little frog in my throat. That's good. Should I spray you down with some hand sanitizer? Is that what's going to happen? Uh, you... Could try that. I don't, I don't think you'd stay still for very long. I don't long. think
0: it would work. I don't think you'd catch me. I think I could get away from you. Th- that would get me on my toes for
1: sure. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes Christopher Spring. with that answer and I said, Run. Here's Christopher Run! coming at me with a cloud of unnamed mist. I don't know what it is. I know it's large and I'm not gonna get caught I'm in it. Not doing that. Nope, nope, nope. Not gonna do it. So we are introducing a new segment today called Ask Eric. And the nature of this segment, it was my idea, even though Eric will once again be at the center of something, like he was in dance class, where he would move to the front and do his own steps. Yeah, it was great. Uh, All I do the whole day through is dream of you. (laughs) He's got his, I wish you could see what he's doing right now. He's got his arms waving above his head and his feet going on the carpet. Dancing like he's everything. Dancing like he's everything. Uh, This is about you, those who are listening to our podcast, getting the benefit of the advice that I receive, endure, I mean receive from Eric at every moment of the day. I think I'm pretty
0: good to wait until I'm asked for advice. Yes,
1: you are. You are. I tease you about it, but you are. But your advice is very good, and you are often asked for advice, and you are the person in our social circle that people go to for the unvarnished, direct, helpful-if-you-do-it advice. Because it's also not mean.
0: No. We have another good friend who I love very much, but I always say I only ask her if I am feeling up to hearing it.
1: Yes, because it's like having your skin ripped oh off. Oh, my God. It's yeah. yeah,
0: it's like speaking to a belt sander. It's really, it can be a bit, but it's it's the truth, and there are things that have I've really benefited from it. But, yeah, I think that's the other side of it is I try not to be harsh with people. Direct. Direct. And truthful. And sometimes the, even that can be a little um, cookie producing.
1: But I think here's how I want to intro this, because since it was my idea and it is about my positive response over the years to the advice that you have given me and the real changes it has led to, because it has, like I wouldn't be recommending it if it hadn't worked. I think when... Oh, what an asshole thing to do, huh? I know, right? Like, <laughs> here's some terrible advice. Keep you should it, try electroshock therapy. <laughs> you, should, you should try listening to Eric while I run and finally don't have to listen to him. No, it was when I met you, I was a person, and I was not alone. I was not unique in this. And we talk about this construct and this paradigm for success that people try to use on themselves all the time. I had a list of things that I thought I needed to be happy. And... When I would talk to you about them, I would be about trying to recruit you into how am I going to get the things that are on this list. And I'm, one of the, they, were, they were pretty basic things, and one of them was a romantic relationship. I had to have, as a grown gay man, a romantic, steady, committed relationship to be happy, period. And if I didn't have it, I wasn't going to be happy. And the revolutionary thing about... Your approach to this list was that your recommendation was to tear it up.
0: Was to throw away the list.
1: Throw away the list.
0: Well, my real recommendation is that you shouldn't make happiness conditional. Like, right. The thing that I really, if I have anything to contribute to the world, I think, it's that I'm actually a pretty happy person almost all the time mm-hmm. bad stuff happens and so you know i don't every day is not a dream and it's not that and it's not like i'm a pushover or the easiest person to get
1: along you with or a walk in the park really or, not a pushover or
0: some blissful little idiot it's not that but it's about realizing like if i'm not in a relationship if if i feel like i need to be in a relationship to be happy and i'm not in a relationship then is my advice to decline happiness until I'm in a relationship? Exactly. What if I'm never in a relationship? Should I be miserable my whole life mm-hmm. just because this one circumstance hasn't been met or been promoted to that place at work or gotten to this price point in my bank account or achieved this award or whatever it's going to be? If that is the thing that – like the thing that I always say is if – they play you off after 30 seconds at the Academy Award, mm-hmm. right? And if winning the Academy Award is it, yeah. is your happiness, then it's only going to last for 30 seconds. Right. Because they play you off after 30 seconds. Right. If you haven't been happy every step of the way that led you onto that stage to receive that award, then you blew it. Mm-hmm. Because most of the rest of your life is what got you there. The 30 seconds, if that's all the happiness you're going to
1: allow yourself... Well, that's just a shame. Right, absolutely, and that's the list that you advised me to throw up. It was right. not you didn't say don't want things.
0: Absolutely not. Like like anybody, any
1: old bitter old relative on the back porch of your family home can say the problem with disappointment is that you wanted something and you shouldn't want things. That's easy, cheap advice. You said throw up the conditional, tear up, excuse me, <laughs> throw up and then tear up the conditional list, whatever works best for you. But yeah, it's the
0: note. There were people, I and I hear people say it a lot. And I'm always like, no, no, that's the, not that it's the, you know, that hope is what breaks your heart. And it's like, no, hope is what gives you a reason to, a joyful reason to get up in the morning.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Like it, it is, but it, but conditioning your happiness on happiness is a way of travel. It isn't a destination. You know, it's, it is the whole trip. It's not Mm -hmm. just when you get there, that's, that's, Wastes most of your life and most of your experience, relegates almost everything in your life to a place of unhappiness. And in the end, it wastes what is the most valuable thing that you will ever receive. Which is what? Time. Yes. A billionaire with all of his resources cannot buy one more minute. The most valuable thing that we will receive in the entire time that we are here is just that Mm -hmm. time. Every minute is never to be replaced or extended or expanded. It is that minute and it will never come again. And if you want to spend it being miserable, I guess that's your choice. I don't begrudge it to you, but I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. I refuse. I absolutely refuse to to spend my life being miserable. I just... I'm I'm not going to do it. Bad stuff will happen. As I always say, cheer up. Bad stuff is coming, Mm -hmm. you know, like bad stuff will happen. But there's no point in in not being as happy as it is possible to be for as much of your life as you possibly can.
1: A lot of these conversations with you illuminated for me that my attempts to prepare for the worst case scenario, my attempts to be in a constant state of preparation for the looming disaster that I feared were not actually about protecting myself from the disaster. They were about shielding myself from what I saw as the potential public embarrassment of my disappointment, if that makes any sense. You know, that I wasn't actually about living a safe and secure life. I was about how can I make sure that I never fail so that I'm not embarrassed or that I never fall short of this goal so that other people... It was all about what other people thought of me, really, well, that's is what sort the of revelation the, that's was. That's the biography view of life. And, and tell, tell us what you mean by that. But, you know that show Biography, yeah, which oh I yeah. actually
0: find interesting and whatever. But We've they, both
1: been on different episodes. I've definitely
0: yes. been on Biography. Um, It wasn't my biography, but still I was well, on mine it. Mine
1: neither, yeah.
0: Um, But th- that notion of... You know, the constant—the narrator in the back of your head describing—and and Eric then went on to become and say and do and achieve. And, you know, that kind of—that notion of your life as this kind of Facebook page to the world demonstrating to everybody how happy and spectacular and accomplished you are is, is really uh, corrosive, at the very least. How and so? It, it, because it, it puts you in—it— it uses up an in, an inordinate amount of your energy on projecting a version of yourself out to the world and buying into it and supporting it, even if it's not true, that's about what they're supposed to perceive of you. Like, wacky people don't have to tell you they're wacky. Mm-hmm. Successful people don't need to tell you they're successful. Happy people don't need to tell you they're happy. Like. If it's not implicit, then it's not... You know, it's like telling you that it's a really funny show. If you're not laughing, then it's not a funny show. Mm -hmm. Me telling you that it's a funny show will not make it a funny show. Right. That sort of... That kind of version of yourself, the biography version, that doesn't include any warts or wrinkles or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, unexpected uh, gas or anything else. All of the stuff that life includes... Like, that's not a true version of yourself. That's the projected version. and That's a waste of energy. People are going to perceive of you based on a set of things that you're not going to be able to convey to them, even with the glossiest Instagram account or Facebook page. And the other thing that biography does is that it tells you, and they worked really hard, and then they got everything they wanted. Mm-hmm. It's... But it doesn't include the possibility of they worked really hard and they were a career waitress at Dupar's. Right. Like nobody, they don't produce that. And biography. L.A. is full of
1: that story. We're and, surrounded by it here. And I,
0: it's one of the things I love about Los Angeles is people come here with their dreams mm-hmm. and there is no shame in not getting them. Right. People, it is perfectly OK to be at work on your dreams here, even if you never achieve them. Than, there, than, than, needing necessarily to achieve your dreams. There's plenty of phoniness here to go around. Don't get me wrong, but it, it, there isn't shame in being in workshop or in class or or that wonderful survey that I love about what how's your screenplay coming. <laughs>
1: That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. <laughs> what survey? Tell me about this screenplay survey. They
0: did. There was a—actually, um, it's really kind of a sad story. The guy who I remember telling the story was Sterling— uh, what was his name? He did that thing, oh. swimming to Cambodia, Yo. and the monster in the box. He was a
1: yeah. performance
0: artist, and he did. He ultimately jumped off the Staten Island Ferry. Apparently, yeah. um, so not a, not necessarily. We don't want to hold him up as a picture of happiness. And mm-hmm. if he was a victim of bad mental health, I'm sorry he didn't get the help that he needed, mm-hmm. but. He told this story, I think, in Monster in the Box about doing a random survey or hearing of a random Spalding survey. Spalding Gray. Spalding it Gray. Just came that back was to it. Me. Yeah,
1: Spalding he Gray. He did a
0: survey on the streets of of um, New York of of Los Angeles, and they randomly walked up to people downtown. And downtown is not there are not studios downtown. There is not like it is not there's the the a jewelry mart is down there in the fashion district and a lot of investment bankers and such but it isn't necessarily the hotbed of of uh, a movie town foment anyway they randomly surveyed people on the street and the only question they asked him was how's the screenplay coming and they got an something like an 85% response affirmative response rate like it was mm. some kind of response people didn't just say "Oh, well, I'm not working on a On a screenplay, as you might expect in an area that's peopled by lawyers and politicians and investment bankers, bankers, they got 85 percent of the people said, oh, it's in workshop or I'm going Mm -hmm. to a class or I've got somebody or I'm trying to get an agent or it's out for review or I've got a meeting. with." They got some kind of response to people. That's the kind of place that this is. And and I love that about this. But it means that most of the people here fail
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and failure has less consequence. Right. You came here to be an actor, and you wound up as a as a career waitress at Dupont. But also,
1: a lot of people came here as an actor and wound up as as the head of a studio too. Like they they failed laterally. Like they said, okay, that's not going to work. Or
0: they became so a got, school teacher. Yeah. Or they became the, the superintendent of schools. Or they became an investment banker or a lawyer or mm-hmm. a caterer or whatever. Like, and that's the. Th- but they didn't make
1: biographies about them. That's right.
0: And that's the thing.
1: And they're still happy people. And there's
0: no reason that they shouldn't be happy even though they didn't work really, really, really hard and then become an academy. And, and, and there's also
1: the flip side of this, which we're familiar with, which is we know we know some successful people who are not very happy. Well, you know what I always say,
0: miserable people who get everything they want are miserable people with everything they want
1: one of my favorite eric shaw quinn saying like that if you're not correct. happy now you will not be happy then and i think that was part of the way that you really got through to me when we were first talking about a lot of these issues because i was so obsessed and fixated on the on the idea of finding a relationship and and I wouldn't be happy until I had one. And you finally said. <laughs> and he wasn't happy when he got one. I, either. I, I wasn't. And it's because that was not the thing. It was no. not about making yourself happy. And if you are unhappy when you enter a relationship, that's what you're bringing to the relationship. You're an unhappy guy. In and a there's so, I see it now all the time. It's like now that you opened my eyes to it, I can't unsee it. I see it in the true crime stories that we cover on this podcast that people thought the relationship was going to fix that. Oh, my God. That it was going to quiet all their anxiety that it was not and that it wasn't going to be any work, that they weren't going to have to put any energy in it. And and when it didn't, they quit trying. They lost their shit. Most people
0: quit trying once they get in a relationship. They stop putting any energy into it because, well, I landed them, so why Mm -hmm. why should I have to do anything now? Now make me happy. I've
1: been that guy, The key
0: to being in an unhappy relationship, I watch it again and again and again, is believing that, is putting on the other person that they need to make you happy.
1: Right, yeah. Like,
0: what an insurmountable task.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So... One of the ways we were going to talk about all of this was that we put a question to but our party people. But we brought No, it's fine. It's, I think it segs naturally. Um, I've got some chia seeds in the back of my throat, which might make this segment a That's little gonna difficult. That's
0: going to be exciting.
1: Uh, anyway... <laughs> Eventually, it's going to grow out into this big green
0: afro. That's on the what top I'm trying to do.
1: Absolutely, I'm trying to turn myself into a chia pet. chia. Absolutely. You know, I have one of the golden girls. I, I know, think you I gave, gave it, it to, to you. me, Estelle Getty. I saw some pictures of other people who grew it, and it was sort of like um, radioactive fallout, Estelle Getty. Like oh. it didn't grow in the way they. Oh. <laughs> so I got afraid, and I haven't tried it yet. But someday. Uh, We put a question to our party people on our Facebook page. If you don't follow us on Facebook, go to the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page. What's wrong with you? I know. We're so How would you know how great we think we are if you don't follow us on Facebook? The question was, if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, what would you say? And we got a You guys did such a great job. I
0: really enjoyed reading these. This was really one of my favorite things we have done on the show, was hearing people's wonderful, sometimes funny, and sometimes very touching uh, responses to the really simple question...
1: I, I want to start with some of the one-liners because I thought they were pretty good. Yeah. And some of these were parts of larger responses that we may not have time for, but I, I wanted to pull out the highlights so we didn't miss them. Mikhail Barden-Meese, who I think is one of our listeners from Down Under, don't let other people define you. Don't go skateboarding in January 1990. I think there's a story. There. I think there's a story there, and I'm hesitant to make a joke because it could be not going to make a joke. He could have broken his wrist, or, or I don't know, more serious than that. But or um, met somebody who really ruined his life. Yeah, or invested in some
0: uh, stock or real estate that was a bad idea. Don't know what happened there, but. Really hoping that more of that story surfaces over time.
1: Dusty Drochet, who's one of my favorite bookstagrammers, said, I would definitely just hug him. Stay strong, stay yourself, it works out. Mm. Our friend Pam Covey chimed in. (laughs) Hi, Pam. She said, say yes, even if you're not sure you can do the job perfectly or you're not sure he's the one. Take the risk. Pretty good. And then we Mm. got this one from Alan Featherstone. Oh, he would say nothing because there's no way I would have listened. I was a little dickhead. Not much has changed. Well that's I thought fair. That was <laughs> That's fair. It's good to be <laughs> self-actualized,
0: Alan. Good
1: choice. Really good to embrace your truth. Charity Morgan said I'd say I'd say answer every one of those calls from your parents and end everyone with I love you. Oh um, I think that is such an important always end the
0: call with I love you because you never know if it's going to be the last time you talk to whoever's on the other end of the
1: line. Holly Buzzard Smith. Maybe not to hold my breath, breathe, and watch your weight. It is so hard to get it off later in life.
0: Isn't it? Oh, my God.
1: Tommy Ann Elquist Gunther. Believe that anything is possible. Believe that adults are not always right. Try anything you might like or find interesting. <laughs> They're just older children. Elise Lamel says it doesn't get better. So that's a hard one. Um, but that's what Elise is saying. I'm and sorry, feeling right Elise. Now. I'm
0: sorry that that's where you are. I yeah. hope
1: that it will. Don Marie Bradley, don't marry the first person you sleep with. That's really good advice. Yeah. So those are the short. Oh no, there's one more that, that's short, and then we get into the longer ones. Nicole Bennett Bundy says, "Fuck politeness. Trust your gut. <laughs> Remove toxic people from your atmosphere as soon as you realize they are not making you healthy. Fuck politeness." If I'm not mistaken. This is actually a popular phrase from My Favorite Murder. Fuck politeness is the term that Karen and Georgia use to uh, talk to women who have been socialized into believing they should go along with the dangerous situation and they shouldn't speak up. I once heard a
0: woman say that she had married somebody because she didn't want to be rude. I just thought
1: wow yeah be rude babe be rude. be rude so those are the short zingery ones and I thought we could pause and talk about the sort of overall ideas of those and how they how they handled the question before we go into some of the longer responses but how would you answer the question I I you know I thought about it because we asked and I thought well it's, this
0: is like do you have any final thoughts um he's definitely going to ask me so i should better i'd better come up with an answer to it this question it was your question it was your idea it actually was but it wasn't my idea to ask me um <laughs> i think the only thing that i would say to little eric would be be less afraid mm. i i've had for most of my life people have said to me I can't believe you did that. You're so brave, you know, drove across the country to a city I'd never lived in or done whatever. And, but all of those things have been done with me goading myself, not all of them, but a lot of the things that I've done in my life have been done with me goading myself into doing them and terrified. And the thing that I've come to in my advanced years, um, understand about fear is that it is entirely fictional Fear is stuff that I've made up. Mm-hmm. All of the terrible stuff that I that has happened to me in my life, I did not see coming a minute before it happened. Mm-hmm. And so I never had time to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that I've been afraid of has just been in my way. Right. You know, I there are things I wish I had just gone on and done. And maybe, you know, like... Somebody else said, uh, one of the other respondees said, I don't know, it's a fraught question because if you change something, would you still have the life that you have? And I think the answer has to be logically no, you wouldn't. And so I'm glad of where I am, but I think of the things that I might have done if I had been less afraid Mm -hmm. or if I hadn't let fear stop me from doing them. Mm -hmm. I always tell that story of when I was going to college – They told me – I became – I bought into the story that my teachers told me about how tough the professors were at college Mm -hmm. and how I needed to be prepared. And so I wouldn't take any CLEP tests, tests that would give me advanced credit in college or do anything to get – to move past the introductory level courses because I was afraid that I wouldn't be good enough – Mm-hmm. And then I got there and went to English 101, and there were people in my class who, frankly, couldn't read particularly well. Wow. And I was like, "Oh my God, I really should have mm-hmm. taken advanced placement or done a you placed a on limitation
1: this. on yourself because you thought it would make for a better experience." Yeah, like,
0: and so the worst case scenario is, so I would have done bad on the test, or right. you know, like I, I had friends who asked you know agonizing over get married and I said get married if it doesn't work out you can get a divorce they did they got a divorce but they had the time that they were married and they had the joy of getting married and they had the experience in their life like go on and do the stuff I Pam said it any number of people have said it here in their own different ways of of, you know go on and do it Mm -hmm. go on and try it and like, don't let being afraid of there being a consequence, there will be a consequence, but there's a consequence to doing nothing as well.
1: So this was a response from Sam Sam Steffnes, or Steffens, I have always mispronounce her, no, sorry for mispronouncing your name, Sam Sam. Dear younger self, the world is just as bad as you thought it would be, but the people are worth it, even if sometimes they are so very stupid. Don't lose sight of what you want. <laughs> just because someone says it is useless or the idea is worthless, keep at it. Even if it's a back burner project or a front of your mind Possible scenario with no seen solutions. Fall in love and don't let him win at anything. Let him earn it, and don't buy that bag from Belk's. It broke two days later because you don't treat bags like bookcases. Again,
0: another story that I'd like to hear the yes. rest of. but I'm getting a better, little more of a picture than the, than uh, skateboard story. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I get that. I, it, you don't have to be Pollyanna about Mm-mm. the world. I think. I think some of the best revelations I've had about life have been maybe some of the bitterest.
1: And what were those? You know,
0: realizing I always—I ran away from Los Angeles and moved to London because it was Los Angeles' fault. And what I realized was that people think—that people in the world are interested in how you look— what you have and who they think you are, and it doesn't make any difference where you go. That's how people judge things. Mm. And it would be great if they were all about the content of your character and your spiritual development. And some people maybe even be there. But really, it is very human to be, you know, to be interested and react to people based on those kind of cynical and dark. But once I realized that they weren't doing it to me, they were just being humans, because this is how humans act, mm-hmm. it didn't feel personal and it didn't feel terrible. And it wasn't Los Angeles or London or anywhere else. It was just how people are. They really are that shallow.
1: So, but, They really are
0: that, what did she call them, stupid. People uh, yeah. are as stupid as you think
1: they are. But and, she also says that people are worth it. But even if sometimes they are so very stupid, what changed in you and your, your behavior, maybe not your daily behavior, but your regular behavior as a result of that? Realization. I
0: was allowed to enjoy people for being who they are as opposed to judging them and expecting them to be who I thought they should be. Mm -hmm. Like the same stupid person could be the stupid person who told the funny story or made the great casserole or cracked me up when they sang or whatever it was. They could just be a person because that's how people act. Mm -hmm. Like it it freed me of the once again, the conditioning of my own happiness. Right. It freed me of putting... No, you must achieve this bar, or I can't like you. Now, before we go any further, I want
1: you to answer the question. Oh, fuck no. I'm not answering this question. (laughs) Uh, You know, the place that my head always goes with this question uh, is to my high school experience. And I always wonder, was there a world around me that I was not seeing as a closeted gay person? Because I was very closeted. And I wonder, if I hadn't been quite so afraid if I had stepped out a little bit more, if there were people around me who would have engaged with the authentic version of me or would have maybe even romantically engaged with me. Yeah. And I wonder if I would have had a different life, but I'm not sure I'm entirely confident to go back and tell that young person in that environment that it's safe to come completely out of the closet because I don't, I don't know if it was. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Christopher and Eric is a production of the TDPS Network, which mm. you can support by visiting the thedinnerpartyshow.com or www.tdps.tv.
0: And by clicking on the gold Amazon box at the bottom right-hand corner of the home page,
1: you'll ensure a portion of your subsequent Amazon purchases supports podcasts like this one. The same is true if you use any of the buy links on our website as well. And dinnerpartyshow.com and tdps.tv is also where you can find all the episodes of our
0: other podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is full of celebrity interviews and sketch comedy that's gotten us banned in 20 states. That's not true. A man can dream.
1: All right. Well, let's dream of everyone supporting our website. That way we can avoid putting an ad in this spot for a crowdsourced skin surgery app. <laughs> Are
0: there any particular circumstances that spring to mind or or is it just generally that sort of reticence to reveal yourself to other people
1: I think I would take the form of be less afraid in general. Like, I don't know yeah. if I need to be that specific, but be less afraid. You said something to me after we first met of realizing there is no permanent record. Mm-mm. I mean, and it doesn't mean act God, without-
0: such a. Br- that was such a wonderful realization in college. Maybe the best thing I learned there.
1: But it doesn't mean act without any moral compunction. No. It's like, and, and fuck people over. It just means that people are not tracking and monitoring you as closely as you think they are. And I think for those of us who are- struggling with our identities on any level, sexual identities, whatever our identities are in high school or in our early years, and we think we can keep them secret as a way of protecting ourselves— we fall into this paranoid belief that people are paying more attention to us than they really are.
0: Oh, my dear boy. I don't think of you at all. Yes, that is really freeing. Yeah. Realizing that people are so self-obsessed that just getting their attention is almost... Think of how many millions of dollars Tide spends trying to get people's attention to get them to buy their Tide pods. Like, that's how much attention we pay to each other. People are mostly thinking about themselves most of the time,
1: and that's enormously freeing. And and so I want to go to this... Response from one of our—I was going to say old favorites—but that's not how I'm going to describe Amy Bellino, who I sometimes on the old show would call Amy Bellino. Um, <laughs> she had this to say about the question: "Run away sooner! Don't wait for that first marriage to fail before you go chasing the horizon to find yourself first before you settle down with the love of your life. But when you do finally find true love, you will fight death itself to save and nurture it. It will be worth it." Life gets better then worse then better. Life is a roller coaster, but the good times supersede the bad ones. Don't let the bad times hold you down. I like the life is a roller coaster thing cuz I think what you were talking about earlier is that the path the path I don't want to say the path to happiness, but the path between you and your goals is never a straight line and it sometimes doesn't end up where you think it should, but it ends up in a place that's actually really surprising and gratifying and I think the roller coaster Metaphor captures that.
0: I like the roller coaster metaphor, but I would I would add to it. It's a roller coaster that has really, really long stretches in between the ups and the downs. Mm. Because most of life actually takes place in a really sort of monotone kind of plane. And that's where that's the art of learning your joy. If you can find joy in the grocery store and the dry cleaning and the long drive home in traffic. And you know what I mean? If that mm-hmm. can be, then the the fever chart of all the way at the peak and all the way at the bottom will be exciting. But it, it won't be the thing that you're waiting for. Mm-hmm. Because that sort of up and down, that kind of fever chart view of life, I think just creates drama for its own sake. I'm not saying Amy did that. no, But – but i would say that there are long stretches in life that are not peaks or valleys they're just the plain and that's the part you really have to focus on enjoying.
1: Because that is the part where you can make up dangerous fantasies about the future. Or stressful fantasies about or the worst case scenario. Or allow fear to
0: stop you from like the participating number, you in your Do you often life? talk
1: to people in the course of a week who say, I'm happy, but I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop? Oh my god. Yeah, like all the time. And I, I will sometimes get in that headspace myself. <laughs> really? Yes, I will. Hmm. And it's like, what the fuck does that mean? The other shoe's gonna drop. You're gonna die. We're all gonna die. Until, Absolutely. Until we manage to Make my mother's books a reality. We're all gonna fucking die. Um, <laughs> but like that's. But why are you waiting for the other shoe to drop? And I. And it reminded me of a famous quote from a book that I read when I was very young, Death in Venice. And it says, "For passion does not like the even course of everyday life. It welcomes every loosening of the social fabric because it sees in such disorder an opportunity to find advantage for itself." And my. Somewhat dumbed down, I actually use that quote in a book of mine, A Density of Souls. My dumbed down pop psychology version of that is that people who are stuck in anxiety want their external environment to match their internal environment. They feel a sense of relief when the two match up. And when there's anxiety on the inside and the appearance of peace on the outside, they feel confused or they feel like the outside is the lie and the inside is the truth, Whereas I think the path to mental health is that the, the inside is the, is the lie and the outside is the truth. It's the lulls that you're talking about. It's the intermediary zones. But those of us with certain temperaments, we can, we can take advantage of that quiet and that silence to fill it with something that seems exciting and uh, dramatic um, but is actually freaking us the fuck out. Did that make any sense at all? well i you know, I get the notion i
0: really i do i see uh, I see the point of saying it i I hadn't thought of the the necessity of needing the outside to match the inside i i don't my view of reality is very porous, as mm-hmm. you know um, and so. I don't expect much from the outside, mm-hmm. you know. I don't. I don't know that I. I insist on consistency or whatever. I try and ex- have the experience. The purpose of life is to walk on earth. That's it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Everything after that is sprinkles and black widow spiders and whatever else it is. But it is to have the experience of being alive, mm-hmm. and. And everything else is is a construct or a desire. Or might be great, like falling in love is maybe a peak experience, and so that maybe seems like something we want to do, or it's something we've told each other that we want to do, or that we saw in a movie, or on Lifetime Network, or something at some point. But it is just really one more experience in a life that is filled with experiences. Every sunrise is spectacular, as you have recently realized in your new uh Instagram. I life. stopped and, doing that, by the way. Well, you I don't know why. <laughs> Al, Alan can be the biggest uh, biggest, biggest. It was jerk you and
1: Alan Cleary, my friend. It was like every oh wow, the sun rose again today. I'm I so didn't glad. I yes. did not say
0: that. I did not say that. I'll call Alan. you up and say, have you seen the moon? Yes. I'm that guy. Right. Um so no, I did not don't stop on my account. I think every day, I think the world is filled with a lot of amazing experiences and we're keyed into these sort of peak experiences as the ones that give life meaning but the meaning is in having the experience mm-hmm. not in the nature of the experience and and that really does match up the insides and the outsides i think i think that's what you're saying yes um it's 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 not condi- it's once again not conditioning the nature of the experience on the outside to um to ease the the tension. I in terms of the world being in chaos, I think people seek chaos because they have not been able to find the joy in the plane. Mm. The need for the chaos, the need for the upset, the need for the joy in Twitter or cable news or all of that is because. Or conspiracy theories. That's one of my favorites. It's because ordinary life just isn't doing it for them. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to enjoy this more. So it needs to be a much more dramatic and important experience, even though nobody's going to know most of us were alive 100 years after we're dead, even really famous people.
1: I believe we have talked about this book before on the podcast in some context, I can't remember, but it's called Deep Work, and it's by a guy named Cal Newport, and I read it recently, or I read most of it, and it has exercises, and it's about it's about some of these topics that we're talking about, but it's also about trying to cultivate focus and concentration in a world that has all the distractions you just described, right. social media, cable news, all of those sort of things, and the, the dopamine addiction that can develop around those rushes of feeling sure. that we're talking about. And he echoed something that you have said previously, which is if you are in a job that doesn't light up your bliss or whatever, adopt a craftsmanship-like approach to it. Study it. Study the mechanics of this job. See if you can master those mechanics in a way that is going to give you a sense of personal pride and personal satisfaction. It is rather than looking at the headlines of what your job is and saying, this is not exciting and this is not fulfilling, treat it like... He was comparing it to someone who has to mow the lawn on a regular basis and fucking hates mowing the lawn. Well, if you make mowing the lawn into the search for the best and most effective riding lawnmower that I need for this task, if you become engaged with what it actually is you can find a level of happiness from that pursuit. That's finding joy in the plane. Because what you're talking about is a lot of radical acceptance of the way things actually are as a means not to becoming cynical, but to becoming actually happy which I think for a lot of people is a revolutionary concept because so much of the quick fix at self-help solutions are about let's wrap everything in butterflies and let's let's only see the good. I remember I was reading a self-help book from a very popular figure in that community who basically said, you need to stop watching all dark and violent things. And I was like... Why don't you suck my dick? <laughs> I was like, I was furious because I make a living in part on on dark and violent things. And then I read a quote from the mystery author Louise Penny, who's really wonderful. If yeah, ha- I don't know if you've read her yet, but I want you to because I, I think you'd be a big first fan. Book. I, yeah, she's on the list, and she writes the Inspector Gamache series. And my mom is also a big fan of hers and has been recommending her forever. And she has the character say, the detective. Someone says, "How can you be so happy when you work with such dark things?" And, she, and the guy says, "You don't understand. I work with the dark things because they make the happier things happier. They make me aware of the contrast that can exist between the light and the dark, but they don't I don't get lost in one or the other. I don't have to. I can make a choice not to. but one brightens the other. You know, and I thought that was so. That seemed like a so much more sophisticated take than than acting as if all negative or uncomfortable things are pollutants that you have to completely keep out of your mind. You you are proposing a means of of, of processing them and accepting them.
0: It, it is about drawing the bright line under. Like one of the things that um, we mentioned it earlier. I'm not sure in what context, but the the idea of choosing to live. Um, A life that you believe, not that somebody else does, but that you believe is a good and decent, you know, Mm a moral kind of way. That's a choice for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of people make the choices and adopt things they don't necessarily believe because they're trying to convince other people that they're good. Pick a religion and fill Mm -hmm. in the blank. Um, Mm -hmm. And really, the, the person that you're doing it for is you. You have to live your life in a way that works out for you. I right. have to live my life in a way that I feel good about because the outcome of my life is not up to me. Mm-hmm. I, I, If I'm just doing it for I'm willing to do anything or live in a particular way in pursuit of that Academy Award, of that Oscar, mm-hmm. and I don't get it, then my life is a failure. But if I live my life in a way that I feel good about, then... The Oscar's a perk, but it isn't, it doesn't determine whether or not my life was a success or a failure. Right. Because I feel good about the way that I lived it, even if it didn't turn out the way that I would most have liked it to, even if I don't get the things that I was trying for. I think we have to aspire. I think we have to hope, because I have to have a reason to get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. But Getting, attaining those things isn't necessarily the thing that's going to bring me the joy. Right. What's going to bring me the happiness is feeling good about the way that I went about doing it.
1: Absolutely. Harvey
0: Weinstein won a bunch of
1: Academy Awards. You think he feels great about his life? No. No. Because it was what he was doing when he wasn't winning the Academy I Awards. Mean, right. That's right. The rest of his life was Mm -hmm. this horrible –
0: like nobody has to hire former Mossad agents to discourage people that you're dating, using Mm -hmm. air quotes. um, Yes, and I want to say that he was using air quotes. From talking about you. (laughs) Right, You know, because they're happy with their life. No. You would think somebody with that life – Think of what his life must have and, been. And then, yeah, That he was as miserable as that, that he was behaving so hard. What a horrible place to be.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's somebody who you could list the accomplishments of that man's life and think, oh my God, that could, you know, th- those are the ingredients of happiness, aren't they? That's and yet the greatest he's acting like life. Yeah, what an amazing life. And he's this uh, yeah. horrible human being who's
0: come to a sad end and is probably as miserable as anybody who's ever lived. I don't think it
1: brought him any happiness. There is also a side of that, and I don't. I don't want to take us too far afield into this because I feel like we sometimes always start talking about we live in Hollywood and this is how we see it in Hollywood. But there is um, a celebration in this in the entertainment industry, in particular, of that level of, or there used to be at least, not the sexual violence side of it, but the ball busting, relentless, never satisfied, and that's the term, never satisfied. That that is an ingredient. Of success, that unless you were never satisfied, you were never going to get the brass ring. Insatiable, of suit. and that has tormented me. Unless you, if the minute you relax, you've given up the game, and it's like, what game is that?
0: Yeah, I exactly? don't necessarily want to play that game. That sounds miserable to me. Like I want to play the game where this is what works, and where this is the things that you do, and that's going to bring me the results that it brings me, and I hope that it brings me the kinds of things that I'm dreaming of. But I'm not willing, like that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street, Mm -hmm. like if that's an accurate depiction of what it takes to be successful on Wall Street, then I don't have what it takes to be successful on Wall Street because I would not be
1: willing to do any of the things in that
0: movie. That looks
1: hideous to me. Well, right. And I, I love a, a story. I'll make it more of a blind item not to reveal, but so, so a friend called you and said, My other friend got a job to write a sequel to this movie. And I'm so <laughs> jealous. And you said, Do you actually want to write a sequel to that movie? And he was like, Well, well, no, but I, I, it's, it looks like a cushy gig. And he's like, No, that's the job. The job <laughs> is writing the sequel to that movie. That's what you're jealous of. And if you don't want to do that, why are you jealous? Why be jealous of something you didn't want in the first place I, just because yeah. somebody
0: else got it? I
1: just think that's crazy. Okay, so I want to throw out a few more of these wonderful responses oh, yes, from absolutely. our party we're people. We're not throwing them out. We're relishing them. Absolutely. Nicholas C. Matthews said, I would tell myself to stay in school, to not be afraid to be myself.
0: Well, that's a good
1: To joke. not hide how smart I was for fear of freaking people out. I think that's part of what uh, we're talking really about.
0: Oh, that's really a tough one. To I embrace my struggle. own
1: uniqueness and not be afraid to speak my mind, and above all, not to settle because I thought I wasn't good enough. That's a good one. So contrary to what we heard earlier from another respondent, Ann Jackson says, it gets better. It really seems like it won't. It really looks like he will get away with everything. Again, I think there's a story there. Mm -hmm. No one will believe you and you'll never have the family you dream of. But guess what? Not only will you get to be a parent to two vibrant hellions, but you will also find a partner who accepts every little quirky inch of what makes you you. And I'll say this about that with the it gets better thing. One of the
0: things that has happened for me as I've gone along in life is that stuff that I didn't realize that I needed to – that I should be thankful for happened. Mm -hmm. Like it gets better like – People turn into wonderful, delightful people who are always there to support you. No, that isn't going to happen. Nobody's ever going to be a bigoted jerk to you again. No, that's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. All of the homophobia is going to... uh -uh, No, that's not going to happen. But I'm going to find people that I like and I'm going to find things about life that are worth celebrating Mm
1: -hmm. that I
0: didn't realize were valuable in the first place.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Like... That's what gets better is my outlook. The world isn't going to change. Mm-hmm. The world will be exactly pretty much the same as it was before with some minor improvements, one hopes, mm-hmm. um, and some major backsliding, one fears. But my outlook improves as time goes by because I learned to see more of the world than I do, did when I was a kid.
1: Absolutely. Michael Moore says, look, you're going to go through some shit. You're going to love the wrong people. You're going to take a wrong job and waste time. Hear, here. You're going to enjoy food and gain weight. But these experiences will show you who you are, where you need to be, and who loves you. So fill up that Prozac prescription. <laughs> it will be a bumpy ride and worth it. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes, that's very much, that echoes. that's a perfect sort of wrap-up to what I just got through. Yes, it gets different. And it is in that difference, because you see it differently, mm-hmm. that it become, that it gets better. And I hope that Elise will find that.
1: Angela Robinson says, you are amazing. I know it's hard. I ask you not to listen to those putting you down. They are hurting in their way, and act out. You are wonderful, beautiful, and talented. It is okay to be you, all of you. It's okay to like what you like, read what you want, to listen to the music and groups you love. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel all of your emotions. I love you. These are very nice people. These people are being very nice the to their The party people selves. are
0: just lovely. And I really appreciated people being willing to open up and talk about this kind of, I, you know, like we talked about what question to ask and what we could talk about because we wanted to involve question. you all in the show. But it is such a great sort of notion because it speaks to our own experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like what wisdom do I have to take back? And I don't know that I know everything now, but— You know, I know what I don't know now.
1: What do you think of that idea? Would you listen? I thought that it was a pretty flip answer, and it was pretty sarcastic and funny. The one from Alan Featherstone. But would you listen? I mean, I think a lot of people probably told me some version of this, but I just thought you don't get it. One of the
0: one of the bitterest realizations of getting older is that, wow. My parents and teachers were right about so much <laughs> stuff that they told
1: me. What were they right about? Oh, you know,
0: everything. Like, all of the stuff, all of the—like, young people believe in their immortality and their invincibility as they're going along. And they're really stupid and make some really bad choices. And life presents you with some great reality. And I think it. we want to tell people that. But it's not really possible. You have to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Like, you, everybody, if you want your kid to learn to ride a bicycle, you're going to have to watch them skin their knees. Mm. And you don't want to, but there's no way for them to have the experience without it. So I think it's probably true. I think probably most of us wouldn't have paid any attention mm-hmm. had we had the, you know, unless it's buy Yahoo stock. Right. Um, and then sell
1: it. <laughs> right. <laughs> A time machine investment strategy. All right. If you want to ask your own questions of Eric and have him answer them right here on the podcast, you can email them to eric at the dinnerpartyshow.com. And we've put the email address out there as opposed to just the Facebook page where we already communicate with so many of you because we thought maybe some of you would want to remain anonymous and ask questions that were revealing and personal without necessarily attaching your name. So please say as much. Or posting
0: it on a very
1: public website where thousands of people go. Absolutely. That address is eric at the dinnerpartyshow.com. We are planning to make this a regular feature of the podcast so please do send your questions. Unless nobody asks anything, in Uh, which case, you know, we'll move on. Or maybe, you know, I'll pose as various people and just (laughs) ask you various questions (laughs) so we can keep the segment alive (laughs) so we can fill time. Because we have so much trouble filling the time Uh, with our big mouth. And our caffeine addictions. Absolutely. All right. Next week, we are back with True Crime TV Club. Yum. Our standard disclaimer at this point in the show uh, True Crime TV Club always discusses uh, either an hour of television or a single true crime documentary, which is usually widely available on various streaming platforms. Um, We are next week, we hope. (laughs) You are not. You can enjoy our show even if you have not watched. We give you the opportunity to watch because it's like Yap as they say in Louisiana. It's a little extra, sort of like a book club. But our job when we discuss the episode or the documentary in question is to break it down for you, as it so that you do not have to watch it, but you can impress your friends it's talking kind of, about like it. It's like
0: a public service that it's we like do. It's like a public service. We're just a, that's just kind of the great kind of guys we are.
1: We really are. And so next week, the show is called Passport to Murder. The episode in question is titled South of the Border Sins. Uh, There is one season of this show available to stream, and this is episode two of that one season. So it's Passport to Murder, which is a Discovery ID production, and the episode title is called South of the Border Sins. And I will say no more... Uh, Episode two, season season one. one.
0: Episode episode two, season one. And I should
1: add that there is only one season available to stream on Amazon, which is where we typically watch a lot of this stuff. But there may be more than one season out there, so that's why we give you that information. So, until next time, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher.
0: And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.